Uh, last week, Jasmine preached uh, a phenomenal message. I highly recommend you listen to it if you haven't. But she gave me 13 verses to read, and I thought it was only appropriate to repay that favor. Um, so, so glad to see your faces. Singing with you this morning was a joy. Um, before I preach, um, I want to pray for you and pray for me uh, that God would speak to us. So please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that you want to make yourself known to the world in so many unique ways. And today, I believe you want to make yourself known to each person in a unique way. And so I ask God that whatever each of us need, provide it. Some of us need miracles today, and I want you to provide it. Some of us just need a word of encouragement, and I ask that you provide it. Some of us need conviction, and I ask that you would provide it in compassion. God, whatever we each need, provide it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, we have been in a series, Spiritual Life, focusing on kind of those last few words that Jasmine read, that when you believe in Jesus, he gives you this spirit, his spirit, the spirit of God. It comes and lives inside of you, and so now God is with you, in you, wherever you go. And the more you listen to God, the more you lean into the work inside of you, the more you become like Jesus, and the more Jesus is experienced out into the world. And so we've been talking about this internal work, but today we're going to talk about what happens when you get overwhelmed by God to where he overflows out of you. This language of being so full of God that you manifest him into the world, and we're going to specifically talk about miracles. And as I wrestled with this, there was only one question that keep coming to my mind that you and I need to answer. And it's this, are you open to miracles? Are you open to miracles? And the key word in that phrase is open, because Jesus says, everyone who follows me will do the works that I've done and even greater works than these. So the question is, what does it mean to be open to that idea? And that can mean a few different things. Some of us were like, we wanna be open-minded. Yes, I'm open to the idea that miracles can exist in the world. If Jesus can resurrect from the dead, I can certainly open my mind to the idea that God can break in and do something beyond my imagination. But he means more than just open-minded. It's not a cognitive experience. He's encouraging us to say, oh, we could do these things like Jesus did. Beyond that, some of us are open to a new possibility. I'm open to a new job, a new relationship, a healthy lifestyle, a stronger body. But just being open to the possibility of that requires that you actively pursue it or you won't act actually get and access that new job and that new relationship or that healthy lifestyle. To be open to it requires that you make yourself available and actively pursue it. And so as Jesus begins to speak to this, you have to ask, what am I open to with God? Because some of us are like, yes, I'm open to God's work in my life as long as. I'm open to God's work in my life as long as he doesn't ask too much of me. As long as he doesn't put my reputation at risk. As long as it's comfortable to me. And on that note, I just want to say, God never asks more 
than you can handle in the moment. He's just asking you to take the next step. And so God's saying, there's a next step for you today. And that's what we're trying to identify for you to take today, is what's that next step with him? And when Jesus says that you will do greater, these works that I've done and greater, he's saying that he wants you to be open to receiving the miracles, but also open to doing miracles. And that is that you would make yourself available to God to do a miracle in your life, in this moment, or in any moment, and that he could actually do it through you. So I ask you again, are you open to that idea of miracles? Do you think that God could use you and your prayers to perform a miracle in the life of someone else? Some of you say, may, yes, on occasion. But he seems to be indicating that this is the lifestyle of those who follow him. And I ask that question as someone who is not always open to doing and receiving miracles. Open-minded, cognitively, yes. God is a miraculous God. He can do great things. But I was not often open to the idea that it could be available at any moment and that I could participate in a miracle. And that changed about a decade ago. About a decade ago, a friend of mine came to visit because he was going to a conference at the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Brooklyn Tabernacle is a phenomenal church out in Brooklyn. Through a prayer meeting of small people began this massive revival where God just changed hundreds and thousands of lives. Many of them, most of them now are Brooklyn Tabernacles famous because of their Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, which performs in a variety of different spaces. Um, but they were hosting this conference, really exploring this idea of miracles. Are you open to God doing miracles? So my friend came to town. He convinced me to go. Some of you are like, that, that sounds familiar. Someone convinced me to be here today. And so I went and I was there for two days listening, taking in speaker after speaker, beginning to go, let's look at the scriptures and look what Jesus did. Look what those who followed him did in the book of Acts. What would it be like for you to do the same thing? And again, I was just soaking in the information. They ended the conference with one of their prayer meetings. And before the prayer meetings, they have a space where you can go and receive prayer. And so I decided that I would go and receive prayer. I stood in line. They assigned me to someone. I don't remember if he even told me his name. But he said, what are you praying for? And I said, I don't even know. I just want more of God, just like Jasmine was talking about last week. So he told me to open my hands, and he just prayed for me. And I felt nothing. <laughs> but later on that night, um, as Amber and I were going to bed, she said, I just have this awful congestion, like this nasty sinus headache. I said, well, why don't we pray about it? And so I just said a quick prayer, put my hand over her face, prayed, said amen, and she was like, whoa, it's gone. And I was like, fantastic, let's go to sleep. <laughs> I was really in tune to the spirit. It was really phenomenal. Um, the next morning, as she was making breakfast and I was waking up from my zombie morning coma that usually exists, she said, do you think that you might have like gifts of healing? I was like, no, God just answers prayer. And she's like, well, think about it though. Like, do you remember our friend Chelsea who like had a, an assist on her ovary and we prayed for her and then went to the doctor and it was gone? Um, yeah, I mean, that was just God answering prayer. And she's like, well, what about the fact that our kids haven't had to go see a doctor in the last six years? I'm like, well, God's just protecting me from healthcare costs. Like, it's just <laughs> that simple. Um, and she began to say, no, I think you need to explore this more. 
And I highlight that portion of the story because sometimes you need someone else to affirm in you what you can't see in yourself. And that God has imparted to you some unique gifts. And part of being in a community is allowing the community to say, I see this in you. And she said, go and share this with our pastors and see what they say. And now I was in a tradition that wasn't like super fired up about miracles all the time. So I was like, ah, we'll see how this goes. And I shared, and to my pastor's credit, he said, if you would have told me you had the gift of teaching, I would have said, let's find opportunities for you to explore and grow in that. Why would it be different with this? Now, little did I know that meant that the next Sunday he would include my story of healing in his Sunday sermon. So a lesson, don't tell lead pastors anything that you don't want in the next Sunday's sermon. Um, And he tells this story without using my name. And then right after the service, a woman comes up to him and says, is that person here? I need healing. And he brings her back to me and she says, I just have this pain in my back that is extending here. And I said, okay, well, let's just sit down. Let's pray. I put my hand on her shoulder, prayed. I say amen, and she starts crying. And I'm like, what have I done? I've ruined this woman's faith. Um, and she says, it's gone. It's completely gone. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to let you process that. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting there like, what is happening? And it just set off a season where we as a community saw more of that. And for a while, it was only backs. And so people were like, you're like the chiropractor of gifts of healing. And I was like, that's really cute. Don't say that. Um, And it was a beautiful season. But it was just a season. I wish I could say that the last decade, I was perpetually open to miracles and saw it all the time. Every time I prayed, people were healed. I wish I could say that. And I've wrestled with why that's not the case. Now, some of it is just pure God's work and timing. But some of it is when you start to do and perform the works that Jesus did, people come against you and so does the enemies of God. And so when you start to say, I wanna follow Jesus with my life and do what he did, You are going to face oppressive forces in your life. And we saw that. We saw that in our own doubts about ourselves. We saw that in religious circles that said, I'm going to discount and discredit what you're talking about. That was some psychosomatic experience that happened. We saw attacks and divisiveness. But ultimately, behind all of those attacks, the scriptures say there is one person, one being that is against the works of Jesus And that's the devil. And when you start to work in supernatural spaces, the devil starts to come against you. And I was not mature and aware enough of what spiritual warfare exists and how to combat it in such a way that that healing and those gifts weren't impacted. And so there were seasons where that's been dormant. And over the last few years, God's awakened this pursuit again, this openness, this access that I would say I will be available in whatever way God wants to use me to heal or simply to pray. And what I believe God is trying to do in our midst is to make each and every believer open and available to seeing miracles in their life and seeing miracles through their life. That's what he said. Everyone who believes will do these things. Everyone. All of us get to play. Not the people that are professional ministers. Every believer. 
that's a child of God, has the Holy Spirit, and can see the works of Jesus and greater works, he says, in this world. And so what I want to do is say, how can we let the truths of Scripture guide us to be open to miracles? And I want to look at three truths of Scriptures to guide us, and then we're going to have one practice that we have to pursue as a community if we're going to see miracles happen. So the first truth in this passage is the words of Jesus where he says, I tell you the truth, you will do the same miracles and even greater miracles than I have done. First truth is same and greater. Same and greater. Now different translations translated different ways. One common translation is to say that look at the works that I've done, you will do these works and even greater works. And that has set off debate about what works Jesus means. And depending on your tradition, or lack of tradition, you will bend those works to your preference or to your comfortability. There are some who are not comfortable with the miracles. They would love the rational side of God, and so they say the works are just works of obedience and compassion. That you just do the works that Jesus did to follow the laws of God and follow the love of God. That whatever God says in holiness, you should do, and whatever God says in justice and mercy to the world, you should do. And those are the works because they're uncomfortable with the miracles. Because you can't control miracles. You can't make it happen every time. So then you have to deal with the discomfort of when it doesn't happen and deal with the disappointment. In an effort to do that, we wanna control and put God in a box to say, only do these works. Now the flip side is we can become obsessed with miracles. It's all that it's about. But Jesus didn't just do miracles. He did works of obedience and works of compassion. And all of them require the Holy Spirit working in us to do. And so I'm going to hone in on, on the miracles, but let me just give you some of the categories of works real quick. There's three. The first work is works of obedience that Jesus did. That's the first thing we see him do. That he is baptized because God asks him to be baptized. That he speaks the truth to the woman at the well about her thirstiness and pursuing other men and husbands because God asked him to do that, that he obeyed, works of obedience. It says that loving Jesus empowers us to obey his commands. That's what this passage says. So the works of obedience require the spirit of God to do so. There's also works of compassion. Jesus is known as the most gracious to every sinner that he interacts with. And it offends like the really holy people. They're like, why are you not nice to us and you're nice to them. He's like, because I oppose the proud, but I give grace to the humble. And the sinners often know they're sinners. But the proud pretend they're not. These works of compassion are times confronting the proud, but giving grace to the humble. Those are two of the categories. It requires the Holy Spirit to be able to do what he says, to love our neighbor as ourselves and love our enemies. Because we don't do that naturally. We need the Spirit to rise up to love others when we don't want to love them. But there's also works of wonder. Signs and wonders and miracles. That he says, these are the works that you've seen and you will do. Now think about the works that they've seen. They saw Jesus turn water into wine, which we found out was Dan's favorite miracle a few weeks ago. They've seen him Heal from afar. 
Just with a word, he heals the centurion's son without ever seeing him, without ever touching him. Just with a word, he heals. We see him see a lame man whose legs have not worked for almost four decades, tell him to take up his mat and walk, and he's healed. They have seen him heal lepers. They have seen him feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. They've seen him walk on water, resurrect a child, and resurrect Lazarus. And he says, see these? You're going to do them. And even greater works than these. Now, when he says greater, that can mean quantity or quality. He seems to be saying that the quality of the miracles are going to be the same. But the quantity will be more. Because there will be more people doing them. And there will be more time than Jesus has on this earth to perform them. And so he's saying greater works than these will be done. Now, one of the things I want to highlight is just the purpose of miracles. Because it's not just for God to show off. He's not just walking around going, look at what I can do. (laughs) Cool magic tricks. The purpose of miracles are that you would know that God sees you and he knows you and he loves you so much that he wants you to experience his goodness in this life that you are asking God to do special things. You're asking if he's concerned with your pain. You're asking if he's concerned with the things that are challenging. You're asking if he's concerned with the trials that you can't overcome on your own effort. And the miracles say God hears that cry and he wants to answer it and he wants to move in a way and he wants to taste your goodness, his goodness. Now that leaves the question of what happens when the miracle doesn't happen. More than him saying that he wants you to experience his goodness or his provision, he wants you to experience his presence. And so at times, the miracle doesn't happen because he wants you to continue to press in, because he wants more of his presence in your life. And I hate that part, (laughs) because I would just like want to pray and miracle, 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 miracle. But sometimes, if we're honest, We get the gift and we move on from the giver. And so we begin to worship the thing instead of God as everything. And so as we pursue the miraculous, we cannot take our eyes off of the miracle worker himself and go, it is a miracle that we know him because of Jesus dying on a cross, blood shed and then translated into forgiveness of sins for the whole world. Resurrection from the tomb and saying death no longer has power and fear over all, that's a miracle. So that you have access to God the Father, the Holy Spirit inside of you. That's the miracle he wants you to worship most. And then to taste miracles all throughout your life in little different ways. Same and greater. And so we stand on the promise so that we can be open, not depending on the outcome but depending on the promise that he will do the same and greater in and through us. But the second truth that guides us in the pursuit and the openness of miracles is when he says that if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So the second truth is by asking in Jesus' name. Now that's often confusing because it can sound like an incantation. 
a magic spell. And sometimes people have used it. If you've seen any televangelists that raise their hands up high and say, in Jesus' name. <laughs> I wish it worked like that. Like an expecto patronus. Here we go. <laughs> Um, it's not a pure incantation. It's not that if you say in Jesus' name, therefore it must happen. He's not bound by some contract to do it. So what does it mean? Well, I want to read the same verses from a different translation. It's called the message translation. Now, we have a variety of translations of the Bible, and there's not, it's not so that we can compete over which one's the best. It's so that we can compare translations and compare words because different words have different meanings to each of us. And so we associate words that may be helpful or unhelpful, depending on the translation. And the message translation was written by a pastor to help bring more modern language to this moment for us to try to grasp it. And so I want you to hear his translation of this passage because I think it's very helpful. So it's in John 14, and it's from now on, whatever you request along the lines of who I am and what I am doing, I'll do it. That's how the Father will be seen for who he is in the Son. I mean it. Whatever you request in this way, I'll do. Now, I like that phrasing. He says it two ways. He says, along the lines of who I am and what I am doing. See, what we have to be pursuing or asking for is the things that Jesus cares about and the things that Jesus does. And so that requires us to get really familiar with Jesus obsessed with him, consuming, like, what is he about? What is he passionate about more than anything else, more than my own preferences, more than my own desires, more than my own wants? What is he after, and how can I ask for that? Which goes to a deeper question. Do you know what Jesus cares about and what Jesus often does? Or how can you know? See, this is the beauty of God. He doesn't leave us in silence. He doesn't leave us pondering and questioning. He gives us four different gospels that just follow the life of Jesus. And so we can see from four different lenses the things that Jesus cares about, the things that Jesus did, the things that he was after and about over and over and over again. And the question is, will we do the work to get to know Jesus so much that we're gonna ask in line with what he cares about. That you're gonna do the things that he's passionate about. And if you're in any friendship or any relationship, it's actually a normal behavior that you do. Because if you are knowing someone and you want to love them, you get familiar with what they care about, what they're interested in, what their hobbies, you'll even participate in those things with them, even when you don't like them, because you like the person. So it's translating this bent towards relationship that we have with one another towards Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And that piece is important. I do not want you to think about what American Christian Jesus cares about. Because American Christian Jesus, especially the stereotype, has been politicized and wrapped in packaging that looks like more from being from Pennsylvania than from Palestine. Nothing against Pennsylvanians. Love you guys. Just don't like to visit Philadelphia. But love Pennsylvania. But Jesus Christ of Nazareth is different. 
And so we must get familiar with who he is. And the more and more you get to interact with Jesus, there is no one more beautiful. There is no one more attractive. Crowds would wander for days in hunger and thirst, desperate to hear what he had to say next. They were curious of what he would do next. And he would say stuff and they'd be confused. Some of them would walk away after. He would do stuff and they would draw more into him. The question is, have we become obsessed with Jesus? Separating from the religious trappings of the stereotypes we've heard about or we've experienced. Separating Jesus at times from the church in terms of what we mean by church. Jesus is better than every church expression, including this one. Jesus is unique and powerful. And we're trying to do his works, not the work of the church you came from, the church you grew up in, the church you'll be a part of one day. We're trying to do the works of Jesus. And so if we are going to ask for the things along the lines of who he is and what he's doing, we have to become obsessed with Jesus' church. That's who we have to focus on. Now, the third truth that I want us to remember, because I do think this is where a lot of churches that focus on miracles get off track, is that you are more than the miracles you do. I believe God will let you see miracles in your life. And the challenge as you start to see it is you'll begin to expect it. And as you pray for people and it doesn't happen, it's disappointing. It's very disappointing and confusing. And the disciples, when they started to see miracles happen, they got super excited. They didn't have to wait till Jesus departed to do it. Jesus actually gave them authority while he was with them, sent them out. And we read about it in Luke chapter 10 as they come back. So in Luke chapter 10, it talks about how these people return. And here's what it says. It says, the 72 return with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus told them, yes, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Your relationship with God is not dependent upon you receiving and doing and performing miracles. Your relationship with God is that your name is written in heaven by faith in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And your relationship is bound to that more than any outcomes of obedience or outcomes of miracles that ever will or won't happen in your life. That's Jesus defeating the power of sin. That the power of sin and the lack of ability to obey every time doesn't change your relationship with him. Or the power of sin and the the fact that miracles don't just happen all the time has also been defeated, so that doesn't define who you are in God. Your gifts don't define you. Your achievements don't define you. Your name being written in heaven, meaning that you know Jesus and have a personal relationship with him, that you're a child of God the Father, the Holy Spirit is inside you, that is what defines you. And so we have to walk this tension of standing on these truths, that we are children of God and that's what matters most, but that by asking in Jesus' name, we will do the same and greater works than Jesus did. That's good news for us, and that's good news for the world. Those are the three truths, but there is one major application that we cannot skip over, 
And chances are we probably do it the least. And that's Jesus saying, ask. Ask in my name. It's prayer. We will never see miracles if we are not a people of prayer. If we do not ask, it says we will never receive. If we don't knock on the door, it won't be opened. If we don't beg and persevere, he won't come through. That's what he says. He gives us one task to do, to pursue, and that reveals if we're actually open to the miracle. If we're open to the miracle, we will ask for it in the moment, and then we will pursue it perpetually. And it's not merely that we pray in the moment, it's that we become a community of prayer. So we've been in this Acts reading plan. And last week we were reading early on in the book of Acts and I was reading Acts chapter three and four. In Acts chapter three, Peter and John are going to pray. They're on their way to a prayer meeting. And somebody has taken a lame beggar and put him by the gate in the temple and they walk by him and they stop. And they say, look at me. And the beggar looks at him, and he's thinking, I'm going to get money, right? We've all experienced this in New York City, where you make eye contact, and they ask. And Peter responds to him and says, silver and gold I don't have for you, but what I do have I give to you. Stand up and walk in the name of Jesus. And it says, in that moment, he stands up and his feet and his ankles were strengthened and he leaps for joy, running around the temple, causing chaos. And the religious leaders hate it. They're having a prayer meeting and they're disappointed that someone got healed on the way to the prayer meeting. (laughs) And so they take Peter and John, they accuse them, they shout at them, they attack them, they tell them, never do this again. Peter and John say, do you think I should obey you? Or maybe should I obey God? And they walk away worshiping that they face persecution. And then they gather the people of God. And here's what happens when they gather them in Acts chapter four. Last slide, yeah. Says they started praying and after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with boldness. And all the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they had owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There was no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Prayer is where we experience the power of God. So there's a few prayer meetings that we have here in this church. There's a prayer team that's in the back that today, after this message, they'll be there to pray for you. And you may not know what you need to pray for or you're like, no, I know exactly what I need to pray for. They're inviting the presence of God to meet with you through their prayers. They're not necessarily special. They're only special in the sense they've given themselves to prayer. And we've seen God continue to grow their sense of what he's up to so they can ask in Jesus' name along the lines of who he is and what he's doing and see God move. We have pre-service prayer that meets up on the 12th floor before we gather. We have Wednesday worship and prayer that meets on Zoom. Our prayer team gathers to pray as well. And over the course of the year, we're hoping to increase 
what it looks like for us to pray together as a community. But you don't have to wait for us to create gatherings to become a person of prayer. The scriptures list out for you different prayers for you to actually pursue. That you can learn from Jesus how to pray. You can learn from Paul how to pray. But if we're going to be a people that are children of God, not defined by the miracles, but believing miracles are possible, and asking in Jesus' name to do the same and greater miracles, we have to pray. Because we're seeking God's presence, and when God's presence comes, we see people healed, we see provision happen in crazy, strange, miraculous ways like the apostles did. We proclaim the love of God with boldness to our neighbors and coworkers and friends who are desperate for something more than what they have. And that's who God is making this community into. And that's who God is inviting you to be a part of. To be open to the miraculous God doing miraculous things through every single person who follows Jesus. So let's pray. Jesus, we believe that you're on your throne in heaven that nothing surprises you and that nothing can stop you. So today we surrender our skepticism to you. We surrender our cynicism to you. And in surrendering those things, we just choose to believe what you say, that those who follow you will do the same and greater miracles and we got to see and read and hear about what you've done. So Spirit, we invite you to fall on us anew and afresh to fill us so that we will boldly proclaim that the gospel of Jesus has now transformed the world to give good news to all and to perform works that we could never imagine possible. Make us a people open to miracles. Make them more prevalent in our community and in this world so that your kingdom is manifest because we want your kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. And we do ask things and these things in line with who you are. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen.